Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. I was a little bit nervous when they brought out my lectern. Um, I am really short, but not that that short. Um, It's lovely to be with you, and uh, over the years it's been amazing to track the journey of this church. I'm a huge fan of what you uh, guys stand for in this city, and a big fan of the Strouds, uh, personally. Um, But this week has been such a week for our nation, hasn't it? Just, you know, seven and a half days ago we were, you know, reeling from the news about the attack uh, on London Bridge, coming so quickly after the attack in Manchester. And uh, this week, of all the weeks, uh, the changes that are going on in our government. And uh, it was really great to have Andy pray for us, wasn't it, about unity. And uh, I'm just so grateful that a church like yours exists across this city. Um, I don't know if you see yourselves um, as Daniels and Esthers and Nehemiahs, that God has placed you in positions of influence all over this capital city. Uh, but we see you that way, and that uh, we cheer you on, and we pray for you in that, that sense. And uh, the verse from Jeremiah, I know it's important to you as, an organi- as, a, as a church, it's important to me, that we seek the welfare of the city. And actually this city matters in the, the, the purposes of God at this time. And so my prayer for you is that you just keep on doing all the amazing things that you're doing. So I know a little bit about you, but you don't probably know very much about me. So I want to show you a little video in a second. Uh, It was made by a friend of mine uh, to introduce me, but also I guess to introduce the theme uh, that we're going to be exploring a little bit this morning. God is stranger. So if you pay attention to the video, that would be fantastic. Hi, I'm Krish Kandaya. And yes, that is Krish, as in Krishna. But no, I'm not related to Harry Krishna. And while we're putting things straight, no, my dad has never run a corn shop. And no, I don't eat curry for breakfast. And no, I don't use cumin and chilli powder instead of using deodorant. It drives me mad when people have assume things about me. I resent that surprised expression on people's faces when I walk into a room looking foreign and then speak in English. And equally, it annoys me that people think just because I'm over 40, I'm going to prefer golf to... 10 pin bowling, or red wine to Coca-Cola. Just because I'm from Brighton doesn't mean I can't support Liverpool Football Club. Just because I'm a Christian does not mean I brainwash my children. Just because I teach theology doesn't mean I don't like a good party. Just because I've got six children doesn't mean I haven't got space for one more. And just because I own a van does not mean I drive inconsiderately. The point is, just because you know something about me, does not mean you know everything about me. Being judged, labelled, stereotyped has a paradoxical effect. Those that think they know me don't know me at all. I'm even more of a stranger to them than they realise. So what if we've treated God in the same way? What if it is precisely because we think we know God that we don't know him at all? What if we've assumed he's close by when really he's very far away? What if we've assumed he's very far away when actually he's very close? The Bible is full of people who made mistakes along the same lines. Many of them even failed to recognise God when he turned up. And yet whenever God did turn up, unannounced, uninvited, unrecognised, something truly revolutionary was about to kick off. What if God is deliberately strange? 
What if it is in trying to understand the uncontainable God that our minds are brought into life? What if our minds are like a teacup and the knowledge of God is like the unending, unfathomable volume of water roaring over Niagara Falls? What if it is in welcoming this unexpected God that our lives take on a whole new meaning? What if it is a good thing that God is strange? Does God feel like a stranger to you? Do you struggle to understand him sometimes? Do you feel far from him sometimes? I've tried to write a book into this space to help us grow in our intimacy with God. But be warned, it's got a little sting in the tail. Um, and I'd, I'd love to tell you I'm pleased about this, but James Copeland, you know James, he's on the, the front row. Stand up, James, so people know you. Uh, he's going to be available at the back of the church, is that right? It's just as you come out in the foyer. and. Uh, Home for Good, the charity I founded, have decided to give the book away at 50% of its original price. That's why I'm not massively excited. Uh, <laughs> but actually, it's a great, it's, it, it's a book we poured our passion and our hearts into, so the more people that read it, brilliant. But if you would like to engage with James, you can get 50% off the book. But I, I want to prepare you, I guess, for where we're going to go this morning. And I'm going to show you in a second um, a picture. And it's a very controversial picture. In fact, it may cause serious debate between uh, some of the members of this congregation. But, but try to keep it civil. We prayed for unity, so try and keep it civil. Um, I'm going to show you this picture, and it's a theologically profound picture. I hope it's going to come out all right on your screen. But do you remember this? <laughs> just with your neighbour, just for 30 seconds, what do you see? What colours do you see in this dress? Just talk with your neighbour for a sec. Okay, let's start over here. Someone in this section. What colour do you see? Blue and black. Okay, someone over here sees blue and black. Does anyone else see blue and black? Interesting. Okay, someone in the middle section. White and gold. Anyone else see white and gold? Interesting. Anyone on this section see anything different? Blue and gold? No way! Okay, so it's, it's a weird, weird picture. It was a viral kind of meme. It was a, a kind of product picture for something on Amazon uh, of someone trying to sell a dress. And um, it doesn't matter where you sit, okay? That's, it's not based on kind of geographical location. There's something about you that means that you process this picture differently. I was at the opticians not long ago, and I don't know about you, I, I kind of find people invading my personal space quite difficult. And they get really close up to you in the opticians, don't they? And the lady had been eating oranges, and I could totally smell it on her breath, and it was kind of freaking me out. So, uh, so I said, oh, have you seen this picture? And uh, that bought me a lot of personal space, which was excellent. And uh, she said, yeah, yeah, well, um, her theory is it's to do with the, your retina, and that we each have a different distribution of rods and cones, and rods and cones are how we kind of perceive colour. And so depending on your distribution of rods and cones, you see this picture differently. I kind of secretly wished if it was, it was theological, that if you saw white and gold, it meant that you'd be brought up in an Anglican church <laughs> where they do dresses and crowns and stuff. Or if you see blue and black, it's because you're a Baptist and we see water everywhere. <laughs> but no, it's to do with something about the wiring of your brain or the makeup of your retina. Now, for me, that's a really interesting metaphor for the place of theology. Uh, or if you don't like the word theology, the place of 
the gospel in your life. If you're someone here that's, that's a Christian, then over time, God has been working on you through his Holy Spirit and through his word to renew your mind. And so even though you and your neighbours and your family, uh, if they come from a faith tradition or if they don't come from a faith tradition, you're all looking at the world, but because of this renewing of your mind, you're seeing something different. Does that make sense? So that means becoming a Christian is, is more than a bolt-on extra on your life. It's more than just turning up at church. It's more than what you do on a Wednesday morning or a Thursday evening. It's more than what you do with 10% of your income uh, or your leisure time. Actually, being a Christian means you see everything differently. That's why I loved the conference you guys used to run called Everything. Can you, any of you old enough to remember the Everything event? Yes, some of you are. I hear good things about its future under a new brand, but I can't tell you more. Um, but what a great idea, isn't it? Everything's different. How I approach my work, how I approach my family, how I approach my community, it's all different because of the renewing work of the Spirit and the renewing work of the Word. Now, what does that mean? Let's, let's try and get really practical. I'm going to give you another picture in a second. And again, it's another theologically profound picture. Let's put it up. Should be a picture of a little boy. Yes. So I can't show you this little boy's face. His name is Robert, but I can't show you his face because he's currently in foster care. And he's actually been in foster care for most of his life. And he's, he was removed at a young age from his birth family, is now with another family, a foster family. And Robert is available for adoption right now. And actually, he's been waiting a long time to be adopted. But Robert has speech delay. Some people think it's because of what happened to him in his early years. There was trauma in his removal. There were bad things going on in his family. And it means that he's delayed in his speech. And now that he's at school, uh, he can get frustrated that he can't express himself in the way that he wants to. And sometimes that works its way out in terms of disruptive or bad behavior. And because we want to be honest, we don't want people to go in with a romantic kind of little house on the prairie, despicable me, Anna Green Gables kind of view of adoption. That kids coming for adoption are not all perfectly put together. Some of them have some ongoing challenges. In the little bio that you read when you come across Robert in a little book called Be My Parent. It's a booklet that goes out to everyone who's approved to be adopted. And you kind of, it's a really tough job. Pray for people that are going through the process of choosing a child based on a profile picture and a little bio about him. And the bio tells about his disruptive behavior. And so every time anyone's ever looked at him, they've, they've kind of turned the page. And they've decided Robert is not for them. That he's going to be a problem. He's going to be too difficult. He is basically unadoptable. And so they turn the page and move on. Now here's the test of your theology or your understanding of the Christian message. What do you think God sees when he looks at Robert? Does he just see a problem? Does he just see a troubled child? Does he see someone who is unadoptable? What does God see? And if you're new to faith, that's okay. Have a guess what you think the God that the Christian scriptures reveal would say about this little boy. Again, let's do it really quickly with your neighbour. Try and come up with three things. I, I know we're, we're all about unity today, but I am going to set this side against this side and against this side. Okay, so you need to stand up for your, your side. And the first service over the other way, they did a great job. No pressure. <laughs> so have a go. What do you think God sees? Three things you think God sees when he looks at Robert.
Okay, I call this speed theology. It's like speed dating, but without the embarrassment, hopefully. So have a go. I'm going to start over here. I know that gives you an advantage because you can go for the easy one. Um, anyone here, tell me, what, what do you think God sees when he looks at this child? His son. Yeah, that's really important, isn't it? Somehow, um, and we've got to be careful here because we're not saying everybody is automatically included into the family of God, but somehow God is involved in this child coming into the world. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. God knit us together in our mother's womb. That means whatever anyone else has said about him, you know, whether it's social services, whether it's potential adopters, whether it's his own birth family, whatever anyone has said about him, God wants this child to be here. He is not an accident. And I don't know if that's important for you to hear. A friend of mine, uh, when I was a teenager, was told by her parents that they wished they'd aborted her. Can you imagine what that does to someone's view of themselves? And all I could do is, is quote the Bible at Psalm 139. No, that's not true. You are not here by accident. God had an intention for you to be here. You are valuable as a result, and you are wanted. So that's really important. That's true for you, and it's true for Robert too. Anyone in the middle? What else can you say about this child? He's everything that he is and everything that he could be, and just sees potential. Oh, good, good, good. God sees potential. That's really profound. See, a lot of people are looking at the history of this child and therefore saying, I know what his future's going to be, and his future's not going to be good. Now, we have to be open-eyed here, even if you did adopt or someone adopted Robert, there are going to be ongoing challenges because of what's happened to him. You know, like I said, we, we don't want to have rose-tinted view of this, that many children in care have had such terrible things happen to them. It's not going to go away with a few bedtime stories or even a few prayers. We're going to have to journey with people. But if you, if you understand, you remember last week, uh, Liam was speaking about one of my favourite films, The Shawshank Redemption. I love that film, not only because it's got the word redemption in it, but the idea of redemption is that whatever our history, whatever our past, whatever's happened to us, our future could be different. That's what we believe, don't we? God can transform slaves, Galatians 4, into sons and daughters. And that's true for you. Whatever you've come with into this room, whatever your history includes, God says that does not need to determine your future because there is good news. The gospel can transform your life. It's not all going to be roses, but it's going to be better because God's involved. And so God sees potential in Robert. Really good. Excellent. Good. Let's chap. I like it when people clap good theology. <laughs> Over here, what have you got? What, what else does God see? Have you got something? Go on then. Or you're thinking. Oh, you think some more. Uh, anyone else help her out? Precious. precious. Incredibly precious. This child was loved by God. Um, according to the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus was sent to the cross. Jesus willingly went to the cross for the whole world, not just for some of us, not just for the middle class, not just for white people, not just for Jewish people, not just for conservatives, not just for the Labour Party. I know I'm getting controversial now. <laughs> Even for you, kippers. For God so loved the world. Isn't that right? Everyone without distinction, whatever your heritage, your background, whatever your sexuality, whatever your age, whatever your abilities, God so loved the world. That must include Robert. He's precious and loved by God. Anything else? It's one, one, one. 
We'll say this is like the 94th minute in the England-Scotland game, and there could be a last-minute winner. What have you got? Anyone? Yes, please. Oh, I think that's so profound. That's a round of applause. Come on. Come on. I'm still calling it a draw because we're a Christian gathering. But that is a really rich and profound idea, isn't it? This child was made in the image of God. Look, I brought my phone with me. And uh, I'm sticking around. I'm going to be with James at the back at the end of this service. And if you would like to, uh, I've got pictures of my family on this phone. I've actually got pictures of you as well because I've been snapping photos because I'm addicted to social media. But I've got pictures of my family on this phone. And if I show you a picture of my family, and, and when you see it, if I see your face curl up in disgust or even worse, I know what we're north of the river now, so this would never happen, but imagine you were to spit on the picture of my family. At one level, it doesn't matter. Of course it doesn't matter. You know, this is just pixels on a screen. Um, even if you had toxic saliva, I've got a waterproof phone. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> so even if you destroyed my phone, all the pictures are backed up in the cloud. Can't touch those. No ultimate harm done. But symbolically, what have you done? If you spit on a picture of my family, that shows how you feel about my family, doesn't it? What you do to the image is a test of how you feel about the one that's being imaged. Does that make sense? What does that mean for Robert? What we do or don't do for Robert is an indicator of how we feel about the God that Robert images. Are you with me? That's very important. Let me show you a couple more images. I took this picture in a refugee camp in Lebanon. And when I say camp, I mean shantytown, an informal settlement that's been set up without really any planning. Bits of plywood stapled onto um, bits of tarpaulin. And Lebanon was hot when I went there, but there was snow this winter. People froze to death in the, this area of Lebanon. Now, these girls are from Syria. They've escaped from Assad's bombs or ISIS threats. And we've been giving them some words as a nation. We've been giving them some labels. Do you remember the label swarm of migrants or a flood or a plague? Do you know, people have said this is a, a, a kind of third column insurrection movement to try and Islamify our country. Do you remember those words? What does God say about these girls? Is it any different to what God said about Robert? Just because they've crossed the border and they're refugees, or just because they're from Syria or they're from a Muslim background, does God feel any differently about these girls than he feels about Robert? I don't think so. Actually, there's one category that we could say that made Robert especially important to God. You see, we said God loved everybody, and he does. But you know, in the Bible, God says in Psalm 68, I am a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows and orphans. And that means somehow God is especially attentive to the needs of people like Robert because they're not living under the protection of their father anymore. In the ancient world, in a patriarchal society, if you didn't have a father in play, that was more than just losing a parent. That was losing a protector and a provider. And there was no social services. So God says, I step up. I am a protector of widows 
and orphans. And so although God loves everybody without distinction, he shows particular care to the most vulnerable in society. But these girls also fit another protected category, don't they? You know, in the Old Testament, it talks about widows, it talks about orphans. Do you know who else it talks about? It talks about the stranger. God is a protector of widows and orphans and strangers, people that have no place, people that aren't from round here and don't fit in. God says, I am a God who has concern for the stranger. And so God is particularly sensitive to the needs of these girls and the other refugees or displaced people they represent. But this picture reminds me of another picture, and it's a difficult picture, so be, be careful if you're sensitive. But could you put it, put it up? Do you remember this picture? Statistically, this picture has been shown to have changed public opinion. At the beginning of the week, we were talking about swarms and plagues and keeping migrants out. And then suddenly, this picture of Ilan Kurdi changed the way that a nation, actually a continent, at least for a short time, viewed the refugee crisis. Suddenly, we weren't just talking about numbers and statistics, we were talking about people. Suddenly, the refugee crisis had a face and a name, and his name was Ilan Kurdi. I know that many Syrian families grieved when they saw this picture on the screen. And they, it helped them, I guess, feel more wanted and accepted. But this picture reminds me of another one, another difficult picture that took place in Vietnam. Do you remember this picture? This changed public opinion about the Vietnam War. The, 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 kind of, the yellow threat, they call it, the communists that were coming. But suddenly, it was an eight-year-old girl running away from a napalm attack on her village. Suddenly, people could connect with it. And I wonder whether this concept of the image of God, that when we see disaster like this, it might sensitize us, even in another way than the general population. Yes, this is a person and therefore they're like us, but actually this is even more. This is somehow a representative of God that we need to show a special care and concern for. But I want us to look at this at another level, give you another lens through which to understand some of the things that are going on in our nation. And I think it's particularly important now. I've noticed just this week as I've been around London, I'm on my little Brompton second-hand folding bike that I've got, and um, I, I notice when the police car sirens go down the street. Have you noticed how everyone seems to stop and look because of what happened last week on London Bridge? I've seen people look at people differently on the tube lines and at the stations. Um, I heard a guy, his phone uh, went off with an alarm and it was a call to prayer. And I looked at everyone's face on the station and everyone was suddenly on edge. And so I wonder whether this passage that we're going to read now might be particularly helpful for us. It's a controversial pa passage. Everywhere I share it, it seems to get me in trouble. It gets me in trouble with people that call themselves progressive uh, because it's got some challenging things to say there. And it gets me in trouble with people that call themselves conservative, small c conservative, um, because it seems to get me in some trouble there too. I feel I'm on slightly safe ground because we're going to be quoting Jesus. Uh, so don't shoot the messenger, okay? <laughs> if you don't like it, you've got to take it up with him. But as I read this passage to you, I want you to be attentive to maybe parts of it that are going to be difficult, challenging, controversial, because you're going to have a chance to talk about that with your neighbour. So let me read it to you. This is uh, Matthew 25, if you want to follow along in the Bible, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and... 
Um, sorry, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Just... 30 seconds, what do you, what strikes you as weird, controversial, challenging about those verses? Have a little chat and I'll try and answer them. Okay, I know it's fast. Come and chat to me in the lobby if you've got, you need a longer time. Let's start over here, we'll give you the easy option of going first. What strikes you as strange, weird, controversial, difficult, anyone? Don't be shy. Yes? We're required to do something and not just have faith for our own. Yeah. That's right. This seems to be arguing, and it's controversial because this is the Reformation 500th anniversary. This seems to challenge the idea that we're saved by faith. It looks like we're being saved by works. Some people go, oh, obviously, you know, Jesus got the gospel wrong. Paul got it right. And, um, you know, if we've got to choose, let's choose Paul. Um, I'm one of those old school guys that believes all scripture is God breathed, uh, which means Jesus and Paul don't have a contradiction. But how do we put these two things together? I want to say something to you. I want to say, look, there is a correlation between good works and salvation. But correlation does not always mean causation. Let me explain. Have you noticed that um, there are these massive great Mercedes signs by the sides of motorways. They're called wind turbines. I don't know how Mercedes got the branding for them, but it was a brilliant move. I'd love to see a, an Audi one. That could be kind of fun. But have you noticed that the faster that those things spin, the windier it gets? Isn't that weird? Well, have you noticed that, that women that have positive pregnancy tests tend to have babies? You know, if you're not sure you want a baby, don't have a pregnancy test. That will nail it. There is a correlation, isn't there, between wind speed and turbine speed. But if you get the causation wrong, you're saying stupid things. 
We are not saved by doing good works. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, if you need a proof text. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, the gift of God, not of yourselves, so that no one can boast. Yeah? Not saved by works. But Ephesians 2.10 says, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. We're not saved by works, but you are saved for works. Our change in life is a demonstration that we have been saved. That God's renewing work has begun in us, and it's working its way through. To put it negatively, if there's no change in your life, in terms of your compassion and care for the, uh, those that are most in need, since you've become a Christian, if there's no change at all, this passage challenges us whether we really do know Jesus at all. We might have a false assurance of our salvation. Now that doesn't mean that you've lived as well as you possibly could, for sure. All of us have, have fallen short of that. But if there's no sense of sensitivity or concern for those that are most in need, something's gone wrong. Is that fair? What else is weird or strange about this? Anyone? Yeah, please. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. So, so there's a group of people that it's too late, isn't it? This, this, is, this is a kind of, you, your time has come. Now is the day of judgment. And look, for many of us, that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know about you, I don't, I don't like talking about punishment and hell. There are some Christians that seem to joyfully talk about it. You know those guys with the megaphones that are out there at Oxford Street? You know, they seem to take great glee in telling people that they're damned. That isn't the sense I've got about how Jesus is speaking here. Jesus is warning people before it's too late that they need to test whether they're really in the kingdom. And why does Jesus do that? I don't think he's trying to scare us into the kingdom. I think he's just trying to be open about some of the consequences of getting it wrong. God takes this so seriously that in a few verses, Jesus is going to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. That's how much this matters to him. So he's warning us out of love. And therefore, we've got to take it seriously. There does seem to be a point when it's too late for us to turn and come to accept Jesus. When I think, looking at the thief on the cross, that moment is up until our death. I think we have the whole of our lives, and at death, that's it, game over. You have no more opportunity. And that's why Jesus is warning us, out of love, that we don't get this wrong. Really good. Okay, last one. Anyone else got a, a challenge or a problem or a, a, an issue with this? I guess the thing that strikes me is everyone's surprised, aren't they? So the righteous are surprised and going, well, when did we see you, Jesus? We didn't see that, that we were doing anything special. We were just caring for ordinary people. But Jesus says, no, no, when you were caring for ordinary people, you were caring for me. Well, the wicked have said, well, what, Jesus, if we'd have seen you, we'd have helped. <laughs> of course we would have done. But Jesus says, no, what you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. It ties in with that image of God theology we were talking about earlier, doesn't it? I wonder why God does it like that. Tim Keller, and I know lots of you here are fans of his, in his book, Generous Justice, gives a really helpful illustration using uh, the idea of, a, of an elderly woman who's really rich, uh, but she's getting frailer and closer to death. And uh, she's got one surviving relative, a young nephew, uh, who's been visiting her a lot more 
now that she's getting older and frailer. And she's not sure whether her nephew really is a good guy, whether he really loves her, or whether he's just thinking, where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> How can she test his motives? So she disguises herself as a homeless person and goes to sit at the steps of his house and waits to see how he will respond. Do you love God? If we love God, we'll love our neighbor. If we love God, we'll love those that are made in his image. Not just on show on Sunday when we're singing, not just when it comes to coming forward at the end of a service, but actually in the invisible times of our lives when the vulnerable present themselves to us. That will be the test of whether we really love the one that we say we love. Now, I want to give you a little challenge. Maybe, could you show that picture of Robert again? I think you're right. He's dearly loved by God. He's not here by accident. He has a, he has a future and a hope. But actually, when we look at him, we should see, we should see Jesus and an opportunity to serve him. Now look, I'm passionate, you know, and so is James about caring for vulnerable children through fostering and adoption and churches wrapping around. That really matters to us. But that isn't the only way that you care for the vulnerable. Some of you have jobs that give you opportunity to shape companies, organisations, maybe even governments, about how we will respond to those that are in need. Will you use your voice to speak up for those that are made in God's image? Will you use your voice to speak up for people like Robert, or those girls just outside of Syria. <coughs> Some of you have neighbours, and they've moved in from far away, and they don't fit in. Nobody wants to welcome them. What will you do? What will your family do? Not just the church, not just the programme. What will you do in order to demonstrate the grace and love of God? There are so many ways we can serve God in this way, but we must go with eyes open to serve those that God presents to us. I'm going to invite the, um, the band uh, to come up as we think about how we might respond to this. And uh, I, I guess I'd like to say to you that if you feel God has been challenging you about how you respond to those that are in need, then as we begin to sing, I'm going to invite you to come down and we will just pray for you. There's a prayer team to kind of make that all possible. Now hear this, if you come down, it doesn't mean you're signing up to become a foster carer or an adoptive parent. Uh, in my van, which came out invisible in the video for some reason, in my van, I did not bring 10 children with me this morning, and uh, anyone that comes out the front is going to get one to take home. It doesn't work like that. There's a long process of discernment and thinking, thinking things through. But maybe by coming forward, you're saying, God, I, I want to take a step. Some of you are actually at a point of vocational change. You're wondering what God wants you to do next. What would it mean if you put the vulnerable front and centre of your decision-making process? Some of you are thinking about the people in your neighbourhood that you want to have fresh eyes to serve. Will you come to? And we'll just say a general prayer of blessing. Actually, some of this is more about you doing something concrete because God's been speaking to you. And if that's not for you, that's fine too. We'll just stand and pray for those that do come forward. But if you're able to, to stand, let's stand together. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.